Whew. This has been really good this morning. Um, this morning, I'm coming with a heavy, heavy word on my heart. Normally when I come, as you all know, I start in Genesis and we talk about the gospel. We're not starting in Genesis today, so you can know it's from the Lord. Um, I normally try to teach out of what I live. I think it's I think walking what you talk is level one, and only talking what you walk is level two. And then just living it, and talking less and just living it is like, I don't know, that's like level three, I guess you could say. But this morning, I'm not necessarily teaching out of what I've lived, I'm teaching out of what the Lord's been cutting my heart of. I'm teaching out of what the Lord's been doing heart surgery on. And it's a deep, deep, deep place in my heart. And I did not feel ready to share. I did not want to talk about it. And the Lord told me it was time. And so that's why I'm here. But it's a deep word that's in my heart. And so this morning, I'm inviting you into it. You don't have to come, but I'm inviting you into it. And I feel this personally for me. And for the body, the body is gen- like the body in general, the bride of Christ. But so when I'm speaking today, I'm not talking about you, but I'm talking to you, if this makes sense. I'm not, I'm going to be talking about the church and things that the Lord's shown me. And I'm not talking about you, but I am talking to you because we're included in the body. Amen. As I've even been thinking about this, I've been trembling. I'm trembling now, not because I'm afraid of what you'll think about it, but because I have the fear of the Lord over this. And I want to invite you to respond, even as we're talking. If the Lord is, if the Lord is cutting you, if he's doing heart surgery on your heart this morning, I invite you to respond. It doesn't matter if it's in two minutes or if it's at the end, you can respond, okay? You can respond with your heart. Lord, I thank you for this word. Lord, I thank you that you're good. And Lord, I pray that you would anoint my words and you would anoint our time. Lord, I pray for our hearts, that our hearts would be engaged Lord, would you let our hearts be engaged this morning? We're not here to go through the motions. We're not here to play church. We're here to know you. Lord, let us know you more this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I don't really have an official title for this, but if I did, it would be called how to be in the presence of God and completely miss him. How to be in the presence of God and completely miss him. Does that sound like something we're interested in? 
I've been shocked in my own life and also through seeing the body of Christ in general, the things we can experience and things we can go through and leave completely unchanged and live the next week, the next day, exactly how we did before. And we can be in the presence of the Lord every week and every day and completely miss him. And so, again, like I said, I may, this is something very passionate on my heart, and I'm probably going to get passionate about this, and I'm not, I'm not saying this about, I'm not saying this about you, but I'm saying this to you, but it's really to my own heart. Does that make sense? I want to say that just because I don't know what's about to happen, and I mean that. I want to start in Matthew 26. This story this story is a beautiful story that many of us know, and there's a parallel story, just super quick, that some believe might be the same, right? It's the woman who's anointing Jesus. There's two stories that are really similar. Some people believe it's the same. I believe they're different stories that happen at different times. But just to say super quick, I'm going to be referring to them today as one story, not because I think they happen at the same time, but because I think that they show us the same thing. It's like if you were to have two birthday parties in the same weekend, it's still a birthday party, right? It's two separate things, but I think they show us the same thing. So we're going to start um, in Matthew 26, verse 6. It says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum of money and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she's done it to prepare me for my burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So we have this story of this woman who's coming to this house and she's pouring this alabaster on Jesus. She's pouring, we say it's a year's worth of wages, it's 300 denarii worth, it's It's this very expensive offering that she's giving to him. But the room, the disciples were offended. They were indignant. She's pouring it out upon him, and the disciples' response is not, wow, this is amazing. The response is, why this waste? Why this waste? Their hearts were offended. This woman is pouring out her oil, and and Luke's version of this says they scolded the woman. They scolded her. They scolded her when she brought her offering to the Lord. Why? Because their hearts were offended. They didn't know what Jesus was worth. Key number one to being in the presence of God and completely missing him is count Jesus unworthy. Count him unworthy. See, the disciples had walked with Jesus. They'd grown familiar with him. They knew him. They knew who he was. And they got so familiar that they didn't count him still worthy of their lives anymore. 
They were walking with him, but they had grown complacent with walking with him, and they weren't bringing him the offering of their heart. They were thinking they're just good enough to be in the room. They, were, they thought, we're just good enough to be in the room, and now this woman is pouring a fragrant offering upon Jesus, and they're offended because in a way, they are, they're showing them up. Because they had settled in their hearts with how they related to Jesus, now this woman was giving him what he was worth, and they were offended. And this seems crazy until you realize we do the same thing. We do the exact same thing every week, every day. Someone brings an offering to the Lord right there. And I don't think for a second I'm talking about money. I'm talking about our lives. They do something in faith and we sit there or they're worshiping extravagantly before the Lord. And we say in our hearts, we look at their offering and we judge it. We judge other people's offerings and we say, we say things about people in our hearts. Oh, they're just trying to be radical. Oh, they just want attention. Oh, they're just trying to get in a spotlight. What if they actually love him? What if they actually love him and the offense in your heart isn't because, because it's not just that, like the offense in your heart is because you've grown numb and stale and distant. What if they actually love him? What if they actually know what he's worth? What if they're actually responding out of a revelation in their heart of what he's worth? See, this is what we call the greatest act of worship in the Gospels. And Jesus says everywhere that this, everywhere the gospel's preached, this will be talked about, which we're, ta- we're talking about it today, so it's a prophetic word fulfilled. But I'm convicted that if many of us were in this room, we would call it an utter fail. If we were in the room and we saw this happen, we would not call it the greatest worship service. Because we gauge worship on how the room responds. Jesus gauges worship on how your heart responds. We gauge worship on what the room is doing. And so we would look at this offended room who didn't know what he was worth, and we would say, fail. But Jesus says, what this woman has done will be talked about everywhere the gospel's preached. I wonder if he doesn't look at how the room responds, but he looks at our hearts. This woman didn't care what the room was doing. She brought her offering. She didn't care what the room was doing. She brought her worship. If your king walks in the room and you're more concerned with what people think about you as you worship him, he's not your king. You are. If you're more concerned with what people think about you as you worship your king, he's not your king. You are. You have put yourself in the place in your heart of king and Lord. That's a heavy word. But I believe it with everything inside of me. If you only worship to the level the room is worshiping, you're not worshiping Jesus, you're worshiping the room. You're worshiping our culture. You're worshiping a status quo. You're worshiping the fear of man that's inside your own heart that's keeping you in the place that you're in. You can't say he's worthy of something and not give it to him. That's not how that works. In the natural, if you find something, you say, this is worth it, and you don't buy it, 
then it's not worth it to you. You can't say he's worthy of your life and not give him your life. It doesn't work like that. We can say he's worthy with our words, but we don't show it with our words. We show it with our lives. Jesus doesn't care what you say. He's not, he's, he's not just listening to your words and being like, wow, that's impressive. No, he's looking at your life. Where's your heart? And I'm convicted by the things that we say that we don't live out. And I think it stems because, again, key number one, like I said, we don't know what he's worth. We count him unworthy. So we say things, but we don't live them. I want to read this again. Let's start back in verse 6. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she's done it to prepare me for my burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment, he saw an opportunity to betray him. This fills me with the fear of God down deep in my bones. This should freak us out. That Judas leaves the greatest worship service in the Gospels and goes directly to the chief priest to betray him. How can that happen? How can he be in this room where the fragrant offering is being poured out, where the, where the whole room, like you know, if she's, if she's pouring alabaster out, the whole room smelled like it, right? Like your clothes, her, every, all their clothes would have smelled like alabaster. Like if you cook something in your house, you smell like it. If you go to a restaurant, you smell like it. So I am freaked out at the thought that Judas is going to betray Jesus with the incense of this lady's worship on his clothes, that he has the incense of somebody else's worship on his clothes as he's going to betray him. And you know what the Lord spoke to me about this? He said, Wesley, do not be deceived by the fragrance of somebody else's worship on your life. Do not be deceived by somebody else's worship that you think is yours. Just because you're in the room does not mean your heart is engaged. Just because you're in the room does not mean you're worshiping. You can betray him with the fragrance of somebody else's worship. We could have an awesome worship service and we're sitting here and we're just as offended, just as judgmental, just as observational of the room and judging how the room is responding on how we're going to respond and we go and we betray him. Do not be deceived at the fragrance of somebody else's worship that's on your life. If Judas was walking down the street and one of his friends was like, wow, you smell great, what happened? Oh, I was just in this awesome worship service. And he's on his way to betray him. That freaks me out. That fills me with the fear of God deep inside my heart. And we think, how could he betray him? 
until you realize we do the same thing. Judas couldn't have betrayed Jesus if he didn't know him, right? If a stranger would have walked up, if a stranger would have walked up and said, hey, we'll deliver Jesus over, they would say, no, you don't know him. But Judas knew him. Judas knew him. And see, we do the same thing. We go to our religious systems and leaders of the day, and we take our relationship with the Lord, and we say, what will you give me for him? What will you give me for him? We have hearts that are offended and unengaged, but we take the things the Lord is doing and we go, to, we go to people and we try to get things in exchange for our relationship with the Lord. We try to get the praise of man. We try to get stages. We try to get microphones. We try to get influence. We say, what will you give me for him? I know him. What will you give me for him? Jesus is not impressed. He's not impressed. Judas couldn't have betrayed him if he didn't know him. And we live our lives in the same way. Just, you know what he didn't ask? He didn't ask Jesus, Jesus, what will you give me? He asked the religious leaders, what will you give me for him? Not from him, for him. Don't get me wrong. If you seek first the kingdom of God, you'll get everything from him. But if you seek the religious systems of the day, you'll get 30 pieces of silver for him. And that's your reward. That's what you get. You get the praise and honor of man, and you trade it in your relationship with the Lord for it. And a lot of what we call, the religious leaders of the day would have called Judas successful because he made money off Jesus. Oh, I'm going. Key number two on how to be in the room and completely miss Jesus. Change your focus to what can I give him, from what can I give him to what can I get for him. Again, I didn't say from him, I said for him. Change your focus from what can I give him to what can I get for him. I'm convicted in my heart at the things that we do as a church and what we try to get for him. for the things that we betray, the places we betray him in our hearts, for the sake of influence, for the sake of respect and honor and praise of man. There's a beautiful kingdom principle of being able to be in the room and experience the Lord together. But the problem is when we think being in the room is success. Because Judas was in the room. Judas could have talked about how beautiful worship was. He could have talked about how amazing it was. Judas, like, the disciples could have talked after this about, do you remember how great the room smelled? Wow, that was amazing. But their hearts were offended. They could have talked about it and actually been right, but their hearts were distant. Their hearts weren't engaged. They were offended at the woman. And I'm really concerned in my own life when I've done the same thing. Like I said, this word is to me. 
I'm including y'all in it, but this word is to me. This is what the Lord has been speaking to me. I'm not coming off a mountain with this word. I'm coming cut from the floor with this word. Just because you're in the room, don't think your heart is engaged. All the disciples left that house smelling like the fragrance, but only Jesus and the woman had oil on them. We always ask the Lord for fresh oil. What if we broke out the oil that we had? What if that was the fresh oil he's looking for? Was the oil we pour upon him? I'm convinced that the oil the Lord's given us that we have stored up, that we have on our shelves of our lives, those are the things he wants to be poured out upon him. What's the offering? It's the places in our hearts we don't want to give him. It's those hard things, the hard seasons we've gone through that we, we don't really want to give him. That's the oil. The, 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 it's the result of the pressing in our lives. That's the oil. That's what he's looking for. And I'm shocked and I'm scared in my own life for times when I've been completely unengaged and people have told me how impactful I've been on their life. Times when I've, got, I've sat in that chair and gone through the motions, but it seems so right on the outside. But my heart's not engaged. It's scary how close we can come and completely miss him. I'm going to turn to John 18. I told you I was coming with a sword. I'm not trying to cut. I'm letting you, I'm putting a sword out for the Lord to do what he wills. John 18. Verses 3 through 7, it says, So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went with there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Then Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. They're looking for Jesus. And they found him. And he's asking, who do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. They were seeking him. They were seeking him, but they were seeking him for their own personal gain. They were seeking him, and they found him. Seek me and you'll find me, the Lord says. They sought him and they found him. Not only did they seek him and find him, but when he said, who do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth, the great I am, says, I am he. And actually, upon this revelation of Jesus... They had a power encounter. It says they drew back and fell to the ground. 
They sought him, they found him, revelation of Jesus, power encounter. Wow, sounds like a really successful thing. But why were they seeking him? Why did they find him? Because they were on a mission. And at this point, they're getting paid. At this point, they're getting paid to use him. They sought him, they found him, he revealed himself to them, and they had a power encounter. You would think at this point, Judas would be like, we're calling this thing off. You would think the soldiers would be like, no, we're done. The only reason they didn't is because they were getting paid and benefiting from turning him in. It's the only reason. Key number three to be in the presence of God and completely missing him. Exalt your mission above the man. Exalt your mission above the man. And it's so easy for us to say our mission is unto the man. It's so easy to say, oh, but this is about Jesus. But when he reveals himself and he's standing in front of us, we miss him. So easily miss him. Don't think the purpose of your encounter was for your encounter. The purpose of your encounter is unto the I am. It's the I am. It's so you would know the I am he. It's so you would know him. That's the purpose, right? We, we exist to encounter Jesus and transform cities with his power and love. You know, you can encounter Jesus and not transform cities with his power and love. All you have to do is exalt your mission and your own things above him and encounter him for your own sake, and then you take your encounter, and you take it to the systems of the world, and you take it to people, and you try to say, what can I get for him? You take your intimacy with him, and you say, what can I get for him? What will you give me for him? How do we know that our hearts are engaged? I believe you know when your heart is engaged, when your focus is on him and nothing else. When your focus is on him and nothing else. If he's only worth what the rest of the room thinks he's worth, then you don't know what he's worth. You know, everyone goes to Best Buy on, on Black Friday because there's deals. They just go there because they know it's a good deal. They don't really know what it's worth. We do the same thing. We come with our hearts and we don't know what Jesus is worth, but we know that we all kind of think he's worth something, so we just enter in. And until you're worshiping him out of a personal revelation of who he's worth in your heart, I believe we'll stay distant from him. Until worship is an overflow of our heart and it's not about what everyone else is or isn't doing, I think we've missed it. We think worship starts and stops when the music does. It starts and stops when the posture of your heart does. Worship starts and stops when the posture of your heart does. And like I said, the Lord's been speaking to me, this to me for the last couple weeks. This is not something I can say I've lived out. This is something the Lord is cutting me of. But in the last couple weeks, I've been doing the most random things, and I turn my heart to the Lord, and I start weeping. Because I realize how much I've put him in a box of what worship looks like. We've put him in boxes of, oh, worship is from this time to this time. What? Worship is a posture of our hearts. It's a posture of our hearts. 
and it's our hearts being engaged with him. And it doesn't have to look like anything or not look like anything. I've sat down in the quiet and had some of the deepest encounters with the Lord, and I've also jumped around like a crazy man and had encounters with the Lord. The engagement of your heart does not look or not look like anything. We love people leading us into worship, and I love having, like, our worship team is amazing. Like, our band is super great. But the job of a worship leader isn't to worship for you, and it's not even to make you worship. It's actually to facilitate hearts that are already worshiping. And I think we have, this, we have this movement right now in the church, which I love that like worship is exploding, but we, we, we celebritize worship leaders because they're really good at making us worship. And we feel things when people lead us that we wouldn't because we are not doing it in our own hearts. And so we put them on pedestals because they're really good at making us worship. And, and the fragrance they pour out smells really good on our clothes. And we like it. Oh, smells really good on our clothes, and we love it. So we pay money to get around them, because this smells really good on our clothes. But our hearts are numb, and our hands, like Judas's, Judas's hands now have blood on them. His, his hands don't have oil. But he was in the room. He was in the room. I want to invite us to respond. Whatever that looks like for you. I heard the, I asked earlier in the week, I'd asked Justin to give us some like response time. And I heard the Lord say, I don't need help being king and you don't need help worshiping me as king. And so what we're going to do is it's going to be nothing. Because I want us to respond with our hearts. And you have the freedom to lay on the floor. You have the freedom to repent. You have the freedom to jump up and sing. You have the freedom to do whatever it looks like for you to engage with the Lord. And I can tell you, I'm not going to judge what your offering to him looks like. And I don't want us to judge it as a room. So right now, you can respond to the Lord. I don't care what it looks like. You don't need to wait till I'm finished talking. I want us just to respond to him. And to let, if he's cutting places in your heart, let him cut. If it looks like rejoicing, rejoice. If you don't know how to look at him or engage your heart, remember what he's done. Remember the gospel. Remember the cross. Remember that he first loved you and let love pour out of your heart. Remember what he's poured into your heart and pour it out. Let that be your response of worship. If it's dead, awkward, silent in here, awesome. Love it. I would rather us be awkwardly silent and engaged than scream and roar unengaged. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? It doesn't have to look or not look like anything. You know what engaging with Jesus looks like. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Y'all are free to go. You're free to stay. You're free to respond however the Lord says.
He's not looking for drips of oil. He's looking for us to pour it out. If there's oil you know is in your heart that you've been dripping, it's time to pour it out. It's time to pour it out. It's time to pour it out. Who's your king? <laughs> Who's your king? Who's your king? <laughs>